2: From KQED.
1: Hey, it's Marisol, the Right Nowish producer, and here to make a correction. An earlier version of this episode incorrectly stated how many children were detained at the U.S. Mexico border. We should have said that over 600 children were still separated from their families when Paula de la Calle started the quilt project in December. Our apologies for the mistake, it's been removed. On to the show.
0: Mic check, check one, check two. Are we here? All right, we're here right now ish. Greetings and welcome to Right Nowish. I'm Pindarvis Harshaw. Today we're talking to an artist whose work focuses on home, identity, borders, and nostalgia. Taking the lead is Right Nowish producer Marisol Medina Cadena.
1: This week's guest is Paula de la Calle. She's a printmaker, collage maker, textile artist, and more. And I want to start off by describing a flag she made that immediately caught my attention. It's made of black satin, and at the bottom hangs a long black fringe. On the flag, Paula stitched a collage of photographic prints that symbolize her childhood. At the center is a dollhouse with lots of brightly colored wallpaper. Vines grow out of either side of the dollhouse, and atop the vines, Paola placed a Polly Pocket toy, a bottle of Pine Sol, Vapuru, and an international calling card. A gray van is parked in front of the house, and below it hangs a gold chain. On top of the dollhouse, Paola added a famous mountaintop from Colombia, where her family is from. Emanating behind that is an agave plant, which gives the mountain a sort of halo. This flag is a good sample of her art because it's full of all these symbols, objects that seem mundane, but that she gives deeper meaning to.
2: Putting it on a flag almost felt like I was like claiming it and marking it as something that was important, giving these almost like simple, unimportant objects significance.
1: Another thing I love about her work is the materials she uses.
2: We're so used to seeing work behind a frame or against a white wall and you feel like you can't touch it. But with the fringe, for example, if there's a breeze, it's going to move and the beads sparkle different and you're just engaging with the work the way that you would engage with something like in real life versus feeling like it's untouchable. We'll get more into the
1: magic behind the mundane right after this.
0: Hey, what's up? I'm Pendarvis Harshaw, the host of KQED's Right Nowish podcast. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy, and you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So, if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org/podcast. That's donate.kqed.org/podcast.
1: This week is the culmination of a project that Paola de la Calle has been working on for six months. What began with virtual events and caravans throughout San Francisco has evolved into a multi-city art installation. On May 1st, the 100th day of the Biden-Harris administration, Paula and a coalition of Bay Area artists and organizations are going to the U.S. Capitol, where they'll be unveiling a series of quilts inspired by the AIDS Memorial quilts. Their aim? To raise awareness of the children and teens held in ICE custody.
2: The quilts themselves have images of joy and healing and resistance. Each of the quilts is 9 by 14 feet, a little bit more than 600 square feet altogether. When Paula began this
1: project in December, that number represented the roughly 600
2: children who were still separated from their parents. And they also stitched together a bunch of different voices from poets across the United States with a relationship to the border and also really focus on the afterwards, which is what happens with the trauma, what happens once they are reunited, and how do we take responsibility for what we caused? Paola designed five of the quilts. They share
1: the same background, a big blue sky, and her collage kind of floats in the air. In one section, there's a patch of dirt with a map of the Americas. Rising above the map is the arm of Lady Liberty, holding her torch. Next to the small arm are these relatively huge baby hands reaching towards the sky. And not far off lies a Guatemalan
2: worry doll. Very large, the worry doll, and typically those dolls are really small. And people hold them to spell like whatever worries that they have. It's almost like a, an offering that you're putting into this doll so that it's not in you anymore. And I see an image of a jewelry box stitched near the hands. Can you tell us about that? Inside of the jewelry box, there's a ring that says años, because we're not seeing or hearing the stories of the teenagers that are also in detention centers who can process what's going on. will have very vivid memories of this as well. Your work consists of printmaking, ceramics, textiles, and now
1: this beast of a quilting project. What's behind the desire to work in all these different mediums?
2: For me, I used to call myself a printmaker because it was what I was mostly doing. But I came to a point where I was like, I'm getting really bored or I'm getting really tired of paper. So I started experimenting with other materials. Textiles for me have a lot of significance because my tia Tata used to work as a seamstress for Coach. I used to sit with her by the sewing machine. She taught me how to sew clothes. She taught me to sew buttons. She used to make quinceañera dresses. So it was really something that was embedded in my childhood and in my memories. And it felt really natural for me to start working with fabric. Before the pandemic, I was working on this really large textile piece that I had kind of put away for a while. But when the pandemic hit and the shelter in place order happened, I hung that fabric between the wall of my bedroom and bathroom. Taking it apart and putting it back together, it like has gone through an entire transformation and it became a sort of meditative experience. And and I think that has really prepared me for these quilts because it was the largest I had ever worked before. And it it really changed the scale of what I thought was possible with the work that I was doing. It's been interesting to be able to switch between mediums and see how they all kind of influence each other and how now they're kind of starting to get pieced together.
1: That makes me think of the history of quilting. If you go to a museum in the United States, they usually label textiles as craft or folk art. And because these art forms are usually made by women, especially Black and brown women, craft art or folk art— is often deemed like less artistically rigorous and less valuable.
2: What do you think of this? It's interesting because I think that there's a lot of notions of labor also attached to that kind of art. Quilting, sewing, textile work is highly intensive on the body, and they are done usually by women in so many ways. Art institutions kind of mirror where we are as a society as well in devaluing, the labor that black and brown women do or working-class people do. And I think it's important to try to disrupt those spaces and figure out the ways that we can push the narrative of what craft art is or what folk art is and why we call it that and why we create those distinctions. Another notable
1: project of Paola's was around the 2020 census. She created a series of images that responded to the ways locals in San Francisco's Mission District did not
2: feel seen by the census. That project, which is El Futuro es de Todos, or The Future is for Everyone, was really about interrogating what we want the future to look like, sound like, smell like, feel like for folks who are often miscounted, not counted, or not represented in the census. The census is pretty limiting. It's only nine questions. So I really wanted to hear from other people and from the community, like, what do you wish it asked instead? Can you list some of the questions that community members wanted to be asked on the
1: census, but weren't?
2: I wish it asked what resources we believed are lacking in our communities. More information about rent stabilization. What are the goals of the community, college, trade school, etc., and what resources do we need to get to these places? Consent, education in our school system, sexual violence needs to be desperately addressed. From those statements and questions that folks asked... I pulled a bunch of different images kind of related to what they were saying. And it started off with collaging, and then I created some digital files, and I created a series of eight posters that we ended up wheat on the corner of 18th and Mission. In one poster, the background is made up of blue and white census forms.
1: In the middle, two brown hands cup a giant key and a classic San Francisco Victorian house. From the sides of the yellow Victorian, grow two California poppies. And below the hands is an array of used bark cards and a banner that
2: reads, El futuro será, or the future will be. There were bark cards because people wanted access to transportation. There were homes because people wanted support with housing. There were paletas on there because people are thinking about a future where folks have access to like nutritious foods, but also things that bring them joy. It was beautiful because it was created for and by community. All of the statements came from people who were living in the Bay Area or had some relationship to the Bay Area and the mission specifically. It brought a lot of joy for me during the pandemic to be able to work outside and bring art to folks, especially because museums were closed, galleries were closed. And what we saw was people coming and looking and staying for a while.
1: The next thing I wanted to hear you talk about is this ceramic piece. It's titled Country Crock Butter. What is country? The piece spoke to me because it's an item my grandma had in her fridge. So it was interesting to see you rework it, keeping the original recognizable container,
2: but adding your own imagery. That was something that was a staple in my house, too, and it, and it transformed over time to be turned into Tupperware. So sometimes there'd be butter in there, or other times it would be like frijoles and leftovers. So the country crack butter comes in this like beige, tan, brown container a huge tub of margarine. I have like a lot of nostalgia for it. So I think it tastes pretty good. But I think other people would argue otherwise. And my piece pays a little bit of homage to the original label, which is like this farmhouse, expansive fields with like a sunrise or a sunset. So in this country crock butter, there's a bunch of different images, like references to the military. There's fences, there's lines delineating borders, there's roses. The country crock butter ceramic kind of became this vessel for a bunch of questions that I had. I started wondering what the word crock meant, and it was talking about like falsehoods or something that's like off. It brought up the question like, what makes a country? Is it its borders? Is it the media that the people consume? Is it the resources, its imports, its exports? What makes its history? For me, it kind of just became an investigation of country. And I don't think that I'm done with it yet or that I'm done with the investigation itself. And it's just like brought up a lot more questions for me too. Food justice has been a theme in my work for forever, since I started making artwork. And it initially started with talking about um, bananas and farmers, and specifically Chiquita Banana, formerly known as United Fruit Company. My uncle used to work for a bananero in Colombia and ended up getting stomach cancer and dying. Turns out that he got the cancer because of the chemicals that they were spraying the crops with. And and it's something that's known. There's been a ton of documentaries about it, but really nothing has been done. For me, it was like out of exploring that grief and feeling like an injustice had happened that I started exploring food. Over time, that kind of developed into this desire to to think about how food kind of tells us where we are, who we are, about our culture. It's something that we share communally.
1: There's a lot of other symbols too that
2: repeat in your work, especially
1: your collage work. I would love to just have you talk about some of your favorite
2: symbols you work with and what it means for you. The calling cards are kind of symbolic of exchange. The idea of papers, right, and thinking not just like people being documented or undocumented, but the calling card itself as a paper that kind of defines a piece of someone's identity and for me is a way of exchange or transfer across borders. Wherever there were calling cards, we would stop. We would buy the $5 ones, the $10 ones, the $20 ones, um, so that we could communicate with our family in Colombia I am first generation, but my parents and my sister migrated to the United States and were undocumented. Some still are, and just like grew up in an immigrant family, mixed status. The coffee bean appears in my work, but I've also used coffee itself as like a dye for some of the textiles that I've used. And that really is about home and these feelings of being in community with people. When you go to Colombia, the first thing that someone's gonna ask you if you go into their home is, si quieres un cafecito, do you want a little bit of coffee? And it's also a Colombian export. And I think sometimes it shows up in my work in that way as well.
1: Also, I noticed the pine sole, or is it pine sol? I actually don't know to this day, but I would love to know what it means for you.
2: Yeah, so my parents um, cleaned houses for a living. And for me, Pine Pinesol was just like a scent that I associated with going t- to work with my parents, which we did often like vacations for us were not vacation from school. It was like, we're going to work with my parents. So um, pine sol is a scent that I think is brings up a lot of feelings of um, nostalgia, but also honoring the labor that they did when they were cleaning houses. What did they think about like you making meaning of very mundane things for them? I think in the beginning, they were like, why are you? But now they're the ones that are like sending me pictures of things. And my mom recently sent me a picture of my father holding a broom. And she was like, your dad wanted to pose next to it just in case you want to use it. So <laughs> I think I think now they're like super into it. And we've had a lot of conversations about why this is important for me, why I'm making this work. And now they're a part of it. So sometimes I'll be like, mommy, send me a picture of this. Or I like take screenshots of our WhatsApp conversations and include them in artwork.
1: I love that. You're making art that is speaking to like local concerns here, but your work just has a very global message. So I would just love to hear what you think about that kind of
2: duality that coexists. I think it shows how connected we are and the threads that kind of unite us. The fact that it connects to a more global community as well just shows that what we're going through, the struggles that we have, our joys, our successes, the ways in which institutions work and systems work for or against us are not that different. And I think if anything, it gives us power.
0: That was Right Nowish producer Marisol Medina-Cadena Talking to the multi talented San Francisco based artist Paula de la Calle.
1: The quilting project that Paula described at the top of the show will be displayed near the US Capitol this weekend. To stay in the loop about that and the rest of the art campaign, follow at Galleria de la Raza. And to see more of Paula's collages, follow her on the gram at Paula de la Calle. That's Paula spelled P A O L A now, time to show some love to our team.
0: Our editor is Jessica Plachik. Our engineer is Seal Muller. The engagement team is Jacqueline Carbohal, Lena Blanco, Kiana Mogadam, and Sarah Pineda. KQED execs are Erica Aguilar, David Marcus, and Holly Kernan. I'm Pendarvis Harshaw. Back in the host seat next week. Till then, peace. Right Now-ish is a KQED production with an S.
1: Thanks.